have not been living up to the name of our podcast this season because the only two really bad stretches the Leafs have had this year, we kind of went radio silent. So uh, we haven't been lamenting the Leafs at all, really. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping the gun. I feel like after those two wins over Winnipeg, uh, we are on the other side of kind of the slump now, and hopefully it'll be a strong finish. Do you, do you guys agree with that uh Statement. Yeah, I think two huge performances against Winnipeg these last couple of games, a team that's sort of nipping at their heels. They could have lost their hold on the top spot in the division with a couple of regulation losses against the Jets. And they came out and dictated the play for the most part in both games, showed a, a newfound physicality, matched what Winnipeg was trying to throw at them. As Simmons said, they've been trying to run them out of the building every time that they faced them so far. And I thought the Leafs did really well to respond to that last night. And Sheldon Keefe alluded to it. It's just a sign that things are different now and it's a different time of year. And they're really ramping up for this stretch drive to be clicking on all cylinders uh, once the playoffs get rolling here. Yeah. And especially coming off of those games in Vancouver, like against Vancouver, like two extremely frustrating games, two games that, you know, it might have been easy to kind of let rattle you and kind of get off kilter a little bit, but then, and then to come in and play the team that's nipping at your heels and put up, you know, two of the more impressive wins of the season, especially last night on Saturday. Um, and like you said, showing multiple different ways that they can beat you, um, which I don't think that Winnipeg was ready for or, you know, expected it in, in the slightest. Yeah, it's like that they they expected, you know, to to throw out some accusations of of dirtiness and then the Leafs were just going to play a nice skilled game to kind of prove prove otherwise and they got the complete opposite out of it. Um and I I I thought it was just entertaining that like I mean the the Leafs just kind of took over the physical side of it like obviously we got to get into that sandine hit on or mm. reverse hit on on wheeler which was unreal but the, the fact that they got so up in arms about that and then their big response when they came out in the second period was a dive <laughs> and then perot throwing an elbow at Tavares's head and then kind of another half dive when he got cross-checked by Simmons and he was just he did like the Peter Griffin grabbing his <laughs> move when he, he just keels over and he's holding and it's like come the fuck on is this your like toughness <laughs> is this your response to a team that you think has been bullying you so that made me yeah. feel pretty good after like like you said Keith, a couple of really rotten games against Vancouver where you know I probably felt the worst uh, certainly uh, all season uh, that I have about the Leafs after those ones and you know to come back against a team that it, it kind of feels like is is maybe the the biggest threat in the division still um you know I, I thought that that was a nice response and maybe that one that you, you don't always hope to get and, and i wonder you know like nick felino's obviously in the lineup and he, he's, he's a part of that as well and um a couple of pretty solid uh, games under his belt to to get back in the lineup um or, or to get into the lineup for the first time at a quarantine and the whole thing right so and, you know, speaking about responses, you got a guy over there whining about how he didn't get his can't get back uh, in the groove after his quarantine. And here's Felino just coming from the same situation, the same team and the whole thing. And just not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah, it, it, pretty much just as advertised with him, like it, exactly what you were expecting out of him. He's delivering on I, like he's you know, he's not going to be a, a, an offensive driver, but I think he's. 
it, it, he's he's bringing something that is very visible on the ice in terms of like just structural and getting the you know making the the first pass to get out of the zone um you know in on the forecheck just stuff just stuff that maybe the team didn't have a whole lot of and it's it's nice to see that you know something that sounded good in theory to go out and get a maybe not the best player available at the deadline but the best fit for your team and then it actually work out yeah i I, I mean granted it's been two games but you know yeah it's only been two games but i think we saw immediately in his first appearance just why the Leafs went out and acquired him. And I think it was really noteworthy the amount of trust that Sheldon Keefe seemed to have in him right from the get-go. The first game as a Leaf, he's out there in the final two minutes in a defending a one-goal lead in a really important game. Uh, throw him right onto the top line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Mariner. You know, we've always kind of been clamoring for that Zach Hyman clone. And uh, while Felino's not exactly Zach Hyman, he brings a lot of those same things that make Hyman so valuable as a player that can slide up and down the lineup and just kind of help any line go. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it makes it so much more important, right? Like you made the point, Keith, like talking about, you know, getting the best player or whatever, addressing scoring depth or, or whatever it is. But with, um, you know, Hyman, obviously, those are elements you need. And with him now on the shelf, um, it just brings it to the forefront even more. And obviously, you know, that that worked out well. He, he could have been, you know, out for a lot longer than he's going to be. He's going to be back and fine, presumably good to go for playoffs. But um, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a scare, right? And it's like, what if, you know, what if they had kind of gone out and gotten like Michael Granlund or something and then Hyman goes down and yeah. it, it's like, you know, who's bringing that element higher in the lineup? Like you talked about that on 590 on, on Saturday, Nick, like it, it's about playing higher in the lineup and actually being able to to be on the ice with and against those top players, not just, you know, going out there and grinding it out against other third and fourth lines, which like, you know, we, we love what Thornton especially has been bringing lately and Simmons and, and Bogosian when when he gets back from injury. But um, like, you know, you're not you're not throwing those guys out against uh, top guys and expecting them to to kind of get physical and, and bring that element at that point, right? You, and keep up with the top guys on the team. Like you said, yeah. you, they slotted Wayne Simmons in in the top six for a few games earlier this season before he was hurt. And, and he had a, a decent stretch there, but he's not a guy that you're going to be relying on into the playoffs as someone who's a fixture in your top six. And I think guys like Felino and Hyman have proven far more capable of bringing those elements higher in the lineup and being able to bring it against tougher competition while keeping up with more skilled players. And, and Felino's a guy that he is going to impact the game offensively in a more subtle way. Just making those smart outlets, like Keith said, being effective on the forecheck. He, he's got defensemen hearing footsteps when he's barreling in there. He's just a smart player. He's been around a long time. He knows what his role is, and he he knows exactly why he was brought in. Yeah, and you know he's. Um, it's not going to be enough for him to just kind of bring those like intangibles or like you know the the kind of physicality, right? Like we expect him to bring those things. That's key. But like you give up a first round pick, you're going to need the guy to chip in a few big goals. And I, I think that he has like every, you know, ability to do that, especially playing um, with those you know, guys. Like, I think he can chip in. He's already had yeah, a, a number he's of gonna pretty get chances. good chances. 
So I, I think, you know, while he's not going to be an offensive star for them, I think he's a, another player that will add to that secondary scoring that, you know, has kind of been uh, or the, the Leafs have kind of been left wanting for at times this season. And yeah, I wanted to get into that um, kind of depth scoring thing. You know, um, Nick, you, you kind of mentioned it with Felino, and uh, you mentioned it as well on 590 when you were on uh, the other day. Um, about how Sheldon Keefe trusts him and trusts him with with the top players and in all the situations and and um, I I think that a part of the reason that that Felino was the guy you know we 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 heard Kyle Dubas say that. Alex Galchenyuk kind of shifted the calculus a little bit. I, I think that Galchenyuk and between he and Robertson, you're probably hoping to get a little bit of you know depth scoring from those guys. You can kind of slot them in, and hopefully they can contribute. And then maybe the focus was able to to shift to kind of a little more of uh, you know some of the other uh, areas of of need in your lineup, and you go with Felino. And I, I you know I wonder what is the um, what what are you guys feeling about Alex Galchenyuk at this point? Because, you know, we, we obviously all liked him early on. He's had a couple of defensive lapses of late. And I, I think that there was a few weeks ago there where, you know, um, some of the, the talking heads or whatever were kind of not including Galchenyuk in their playoff lineup. And it seemed a little silly at the time considering how he was going. Does that feel a little more... Um, relevant now or, or possible now after um you know obviously seeing some of the additions and also maybe some of the defensive lapses uh, that, that that we've seen from him maybe he'll be a guy who either comes out or, or it just gets shifted down the lineup or or what have you yeah i think i think it's definitely a little more possible like you said um i think for me my kind of thought on him and i'd kind of like to see this and it sucks because it might not happen because of the Hyman injury, but I really want to see what he looks like, you know, on a third line playing against some of the, you know, third pairs and third other, you know, third and fourth lines and stuff where, you know, he's, he's got a little bit of more sheltered kind of role, but also where he can kind of drive the line a bit more too, because this is a guy with clearly offensive abilities, but, you know, he's been kind of given his game's been rebuilt to be a bit more defensively structured and, and to be a bit more of that, you know, third guy for checking for two skilled guys. But I'm curious if he can take aspects of that and what he's learned from that kind of rebuild of, of his, you know, makeup and apply it to a line, you know, maybe with a, a Kerfoot and a, a Mikheyev or Kerfoot and Simmons or something like that, where he can be the offensive guy and, and, you know, maybe feast a little bit more and not have to be so concerned about getting the puck to, to, you know, uh, Nylander and Tavares and, and maybe try to be a bit more creative. Cause I think every once in a while you see a flash from him where you're just like, wow, that's a talented player and, and somebody that clearly has offensive, you know, upside. So I, I don't, I don't know if you're getting to see it, you know, that, that much where just with the role that he's been kind of cast on the, on the second line. Um, I think he's fine there. I don't think he's going to hurt you, but I, I'm very curious to see, the first, you know where everything shakes in in the playoffs because if you start looking at the numbers and just who they brought in and if you assume Riley Nash is playing which I think a lot of us do the, the, like I think we're gonna, we're going to get into Joe obviously soon but it, it's it, there's only so many spots and, and it, it's starting to look like you know he could if if a few more of those defensive lapses happen and the production slips a bit more he might be on the outside 
Yeah, I just don't see that happening. Um, you know, when Dubas came out and explicitly said that Galchenyuk's play altered their plans at the trade deadline in pursuing a guy like Nick Foligno rather than maybe a more traditional scoring threat for the top six, I think that pretty much cemented his status as a regular going into the playoffs. And while there have been uh, a few of those defensive lapses, and some of them, you know, aren't glaring, Justin Bourne wrote a, a really great article. I think it was last week, just about you know some quick split second decisions and and poor angles, even you know just retreating out of the offensive zone that have led to chances against for the Leafs. But I, I think he's also shown some growth in his defensive game from what we've seen from him in the past you know the last couple of years have been a real roller coaster for Galchenyuk and you know he he was criticized pretty heavily for his lack of defensive effort and I think that's something that has definitely been noticeable this year with the Leafs at least is that he is at the very least making an effort to be a better defensive player he's retreating lower in the zone he's getting involved collapsing it down low in front of the net and getting those pucks but I, I do like Keith's idea of maybe having him shift down a little bit lower in the lineup. I think it's all going to depend on what Keith wants to do as far as deploying that third line. It was a big talking point uh, before the season about having that shutdown trio of Mikheyev, Kerfoot, and Hyman. The addition of Felino kind of makes it a little more palatable to, to deploy the line that way once Hyman is healthy again. But if if Keith uh, decides that he he wants to load up in the top six and put Hyman back up there where he's been really effective as well, and then you can slide Galchenyuk down onto that third line, like Keith said, I think he could be capable of driving the line a little more and just being a, a little more dangerous offensively rather than deferring to Tavares and Nylander. Maybe taking away a few of Mikheyev's shots. <laughs> <laughs> I just have such a hard time not having Hyman playing with, with Matthews and Marner. Like, I... I, I've said this before in here. It's like I get wanting to spread him around because he makes everybody better. But the guy that I want him making the best he can possibly be is 34. Like I, Yeah, that's a great I, point. I, I, it's so hard. And I love Felino what he looks like there too. But all along, I'm just thinking like, okay, well, what, what's he going to do with, with, you know, with, with Tavares and Nylander? But yeah. I, well, I, I think Tavares is a player that's maybe more reliant on the cycle game in the offensive zone than Matthews and Marner are. They're a little more dynamic, just kind of flowing around rather than having to do everything from the boards. Yeah. And where Felino kind of excels is in that cycle game as well. So he might end up being a better fit with Tavares and Nylander than he is with Matthews and Marner. It's going to be interesting to see what Keefe decides to do once Hyman is healthy. I'm very curious about, just back on, to touch on Galchenyuk again, like he was a center and if they've rebuilt him in a way that, you know, he's more defensively responsible and, and kind of worked with them, you know, um, off the ice and, or, you know, away, separate sessions and stuff like that, is he, he's a guy that I'd be very curious to see if he could figure it out again. And because and, the Leafs aren't exactly deep at center, just looking ahead into next season, um, you know, he'd be a hell of a third line center if he could ever figure that out again. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, talking point going into the offseason here, depending on how Galchenyuk finishes out this season in the playoffs with the Leafs. So kind of touched on it, the 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 whole um, toughness, you know, Leafs are dirty kind of narrative that uh, developed uh, during this series with Winnipeg. And um, we wanted to get into Joe Thornton, who went, Fucking complete 
<laughs> old man, angry, grumpy bear mode. Um, like Joe, Joe listened to the last episode of the podcast where I called him out and said that he has, <laughs> that he wasn't doing any of the things he was brought in to do. Fuck, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> I, I loved it. And, and I'll say this. The Winnipeg Jets are a team that I consider to be one filled with unlikable players. I do not like very many guys on that team whatsoever. I love Nick Ehlers, obviously a Halifax Moosehead, a <laughs> uh, competitive guy. And I just, Nick, this man wants to kill you. Like <laughs> when he re- when he jumped in there with the, with the refs and just started ragdolling people, I was like, "This is we're going to witness a televised murder here." <laughs> it's so interesting, man, because it's not. I don't think you know. He talked about the slash that started it all. Like we were just looking at it before the, we started. There's nothing to that slash. I just think that was a message sending thing. Like I just think it was, "Hey, you've played us really well this year." bit of a leaf killer or whatever he you has know, we, been, we yeah. might six goals in nine games we might meet in the second round we you know who knows and i want you to know that if we do i'm gonna rip your head off and, and i like i love that he just picked on a guy he picked for not really any reason than a slash in the back of the legs it was like ah oh, well it's kind of been, been building been with waiting for a little bit right he, he's been like man way last few more games physical lately <laughs> yeah and keith pointed it out as well and i think it was pretty plainly obvious anyways to anyone that's been watching Thornton is making a concerted effort to finish more checks he's been heavy on the body yeah. and I think that, that like any questions about you know maybe his status for the playoffs is he going to be a rotational guy or is he going to be the odd man out I think that maybe he heard some of those whispers and he said oh yeah well watch this I, I just I don't yeah. think that it, when they went out and got guys like Thornton and Simmons it was for this time of year. So to see yeah. Thornton ramping his physicality and intensity up the way he has in the last handful of games, it's a great sign for what's in store for the playoffs, I think. Yeah, and, and like I think there's a, uh, an element of like these guys are going to have to kind of pick their spots when they do that. Um, you know, they're not, they're, they're both have a history of injuries. They're both older, um, obviously Thornton more so, but like, it was probably, you know, not wise to expect them to do that all season. Um, you know, they're not 26 years old. They can't, they don't really. And Thornton's never really been a bruiser either. He's kind of like no, just but he's taking it upon himself lately. Everyone's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but it, it, it definitely been a switch flipped and they just, you know, as a result of it, they they just look better on the ice too. Like both of them look like they are impacting the game positively now. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looks rejuvenated. Like, um, it looks like and, he was waiting for this time of year, honestly. Yeah. Saving it up. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I mean, it, it, may, it makes it all the less likely it seems that he's going to rest at all. Like I, I, uh, I'd almost like to see him get like a game or two just so that, you know, that he's, he's completely fresh and ready to go for the playoffs. But like, I wouldn't want to be the guy telling that he's going to sit right now. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, so Rasmus Sandin, we, we've seen a couple more games out of him now, and uh, I like it a lot. <laughs> I like yeah, it. He makes some smart decisions with the puck. Like he's so like, uh, he's a treat to watch, man. Like you mentioned when I was on five ninety on Saturday morning camp, I I said something like, I don't think Rasmus Sandin is ever going to play in the American Hockey League again. And it just looks 
plain as day that he's an NHL defenseman and he yeah. he can impact the game in different ways, right? Like he, he's deceiving. <laughs> Ask Blake Wheeler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was unreal. I mean, and, and like, you know, you, you know, um, like, you know about the smarts, you know about the hockey IQ, like, you know that he's a good puck mover, like, all of this stuff, you know, is going to translate, like, the skating and whatever. But, like, that's the one thing that is a hang-up usually, right? Like, um, you know, you well, look Well, that was at, the big concern last year was that he got bullied around and yeah. knocked around a little too much. Yeah, and, like, how long is, is it going to take for a guy, you know, of that size to kind of develop and, and figure out how to, um, you, know, you know, not only to develop physically, but also to develop, like, the, the mental game that goes with playing in the NHL and understanding, like, how do I effectively defend all of these fucking monsters um Mm -hmm. you know with my speed and my positioning it's like well maybe i'll just fucking dump truck them with my ass (laughs) when they're like when they go what is it five inches difference what's sandine five eleven five ten they got them at five eleven i think so like a six inch difference (laughs) like yeah that that was a fun one and 30 pounds or more like or close to 40 pounds i think so he just looks like a like he looks like a different player in these two games than his first few looks in the league and and like just some of the some of the play like obviously he was on one last night like I think that got him into the game right away and the confidence was going and stuff but the, he made a move you know it, to get down low and get that shot uh, like a really good look um, and then also we were talking about it but the I think you know the Nylander play to break up at the four on the four on four to, to take it from Connor obviously got a lot of love deservedly but when that the puck went to Sandine and the move that he made just like shifting his hips and kind of shoulders to kind of draw the defender in was what created that two on one and then he just taped to tape to Nylander like it was it, he just yeah like he looks like he's maybe you know arguably the fourth best defenseman on the Leafs now like it's he just looks really fucking good out there well I, I just I think that you know obviously you need tools to get into the league right like you need um you need to be able to skate as a defenseman like you need a certain amount of like size or at least reach right and and like those are things that you know you, you just Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes you're ready to go. But I, I think that what really um, makes a, a defenseman and, and, and keeps a guy in the league long term and, and, and makes a guy like a top four guy, you have to be smart. Like you have to have the hockey IQ. And I think that the smarter you are, like the the easier you can kind of figure out all those little um you know just kind of quirks of of the game and the league and the players that you're facing and, and you know like you said like he 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 looks better than the first time around and I just I feel like he's a guy who's just going to get exponentially better as he kind of continues to learn the league and learn the guys that he's playing with and against and yeah like the the that like the physicality part of it, it 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 encourages me a lot but like the iq thing has always been you know a clear advantage but um you know if if he can if he can kind of run with the big boys like that then that's uh that that's encouraging not only for like his his long-term prospects but like a guy you can pencil into the lineup for you know maybe not huge minutes but like at least for a role next year yeah, and, and I think people who followed the Marlies a lot more closely than I do, I saw a few tweets being like, yeah, like, that's not surprising that he, you know, isn't willing to engage physically and, no, that's not you a know, kind of get in the mix. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Nick, you watch him a lot more than I do. Like he's he's rugged. Even in his uh, short stint with the Leafs last year, he had that massive hit on Tanner Pearson against the Canucks. Uh, That's there, right. I forgot about that. There was a that. couple of instances in his uh, last appearance at the World Juniors where he finished big hits. Uh, so it, again, he's a deceiving player just because he's five foot eleven and one hundred eighty five pounds. That does not deter him one bit from getting involved physically. And obviously, it's encouraging with with Bogosian on the shelf right now. Um, you know, he he's been a pleasant surprise, I think, for all of us. And we talked about him a fair bit. But um, you know, with with him out here for what was it, f- four weeks? Um, Minimum of four weeks, I think they said. Yeah, yeah. So that becomes questionable for game one for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's. Um, you know he he doesn't do the things that Bogosian does necessarily, but you know it's nice to have a guy who can kind of slot has in. Bogosian and... laid a bigger hit this year uh, than Sandine did. Uh, oh. has, it, has anybody other than maybe that <laughs> Felino Morrissey hit? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I guess the Hall Goodrow hit probably has been the biggest hit. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean Bogo on the shelf. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, what the rotation kind of ends up being like, do, do we think that there's a chance that Dermot loses his spot to Sandine or, or, or what, what do we think could, could come of this? Well, I'll let Nick answer that. <laughs> well, it'll come as no surprise to anybody that I'm an enormous Travis Dermot fan. I have a lot of faith in him, but right now for me, I, I have Rasmus Sandine in the lineup ahead of Travis Dermot, if it comes down to it. And Bogosian has been a real pleasant surprise. He's going to be missed. But at the same time, this pairing of Sandine and Dermot right now through two games looks pretty fun. Did you guys catch the play in the game on Saturday night? I think the Leafs went for a line change and Sandine had the puck back in the defensive zone and Dermot just kind of went up the ice and Sandine hit him with a stretch pass and Dermot had a clean entry. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're not going to see that from Zach Bogosian. Um, I, I do think that he's probably going to get slotted right back into the lineup once he's healthy because as was the case with Thornton and Simmons, I think this is the time of year that you really want a guy like Zach Bogosian contributing, especially after what he was able to do with the lightning last year on their cup run. Um, but yeah, I think Sandine has very, has a very good chance of, you know, earning a regular job in the Leafs lineup going into the playoffs here. But if he keeps playing the way he has through these two games, it's going to be impossible to take him out. And it'll be a case like earlier in the season when Keefe was trying to get a look at Miko Lettinen and Travis Dermott had to come out of the lineup. It wasn't because Dermott was playing poorly. And if Sandine takes his job, it, it won't be because Dermott's been playing poorly. It's just because how well Sandine has played. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, obviously, again, really small sample size of NHL play, but there's no way you can take last night's Rasmus Sandin out of the lineup. You just there's, there's absolutely no way. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder about it. I, I think, um, you know, I think that the, the only thing that I guess I find a, a bit of a hang up with it is like, to me, Dermot feels like he's been really heavily coached ever, pretty much ever since he came in, but like, especially right now, like it just seems like they are, um, carving out such a specific role for him. And I, I know, Nick, you wanted to talk about like the fact that he doesn't really do anything for you on the um, special teams. And, you know, that kind of makes it tough for him to keep his spot in the lineup. And it, it just, so, to me, Dermot looks like, like when you're playing NHL and and the, the computer defense tries to go and like 
rush in, but then he hits a certain point and he just kind of pulls up and starts skating backwards, even though like it's clearly his puck to to go after. Like I feel like I I'm experiencing that when I watch Dermot sometimes, especially this season where it like we we've talked about kind of his aggression or whatever, and it just it kind of feels like they they've rounded some of the edges off of his game, and I wonder if if they just have a really like specific role in, in mind for him. But you know, like you say, it's like. Um, you know, it's your it's your wild card versus your, you know, the the guy that you're, you've kind of been comfortable with, and and you know th- that's been so unchanging all, all season, right? Like I, it would be a, a little surprising for me if if they didn't kind of go back to it once Bogosian becomes available again. But I mean, we, we've got a few more weeks to kind of see, I guess, what Sandine um, continues to bring. Yeah, and a lot could happen between now and then too. Like we could have two or three more defensemen on the shelf by the time Bogosian is healthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've definitely clipped Dermot's wings a bit, I think, since he came into the league. Think back to like his his first call-up. He was rushing the puck like a madman, just you know, trying to make an impact on the game offensively a lot more than we've seen from him in the last couple of years. But I think these last couple of weeks in particular, he has been making more of an effort to get involved offensively. He, he's making smarter plays in the offensive zone. He's getting shots through, I think, really well, especially compared to some of the other Leafs blue liners. And as far as the special teams utility, I, I think it's great that he's going to get that opportunity on the penalty kill now that Bogosian is out. I was kind of worried that they were going to heap those minutes onto Morgan Riley, which to me would be nonsensical. He already plays a ton of minutes. He's not the best defensive blue liner on the, on the team. And even when everyone is healthy, to have Riley as like the, the fifth PK defender, if one of the other guys is in the box or whatever, I think Dermott should have been getting those minutes all along. And it is tough for him to make his mark playing third pair minutes and not getting any power play time or penalty kill time. And while he's not the most dynamic offensive defenseman, the way that the second power play unit was running all season this year, like Brody did not look good on the power play. Muzzin did not look good on the power play. I don't understand why. Give Dermot a few shifts there. Just see if he can do it because he's shown in the past that he has those skills to to be an offensive blue liner or at least be a capable distributor from the point. Like wh- When he was drafted, he was drafted as a puck mover who was going to be able to maybe chip in on the power play and he's never really even gotten that chance with the Leafs so far. I think this is a really big stretch for Dermot with Bogosian out. Uh, there's a a lot up in the air with the Leafs blue line moving forward, especially with Seattle coming in. We're really likely to lose one of Justin Hall or Travis Dermot, depending on how the Leafs decide to make up their uh, protection list. But this is a really big stretch for Dermot to kind of if he is able to stick around with the Leafs through this offseason, what can they pencil him in for moving forward? And it's kind of the same case with Sandine. Yeah, I think also just the fact that it's on the right side too, I think is something, you know, Nick, you mentioned that on your radio hit, like not a ton of options on the right side for the Leafs. So if he can carve out a role that he can do, do what he's been doing on the left side, you know, equally on the right, um, you know, and not lose any part of that. And then if he, like you said, if he does kind of, slot into some some penalty kill minutes i think that's going to help make the decision of you know who they protect and who gets taken by seattle a little a little easier but um you know i i think 
that's going to be an interesting pairing to look at is Sandine and Dermot over the next couple of weeks. And because that could very well be your third pair next year. And again, like back on if you can figure it out on the right side. So it's going to be something that I'm going to be paying more attention to than, than maybe I would have if, if it didn't have this storyline behind it. Well, I'm really glad he's finally getting that look on the right side because it, Dubas yeah. said that they wanted to get that look at him this That's season. That's been something in the works. Yeah, it, yeah, it's been something that you know a, a lot of fans have been calling for for the last couple of years because uh, just because of the wealth of options on the left side. Yeah, I, I, th- I think... Um you know the the thing with Dermot, like it's it feels like um, he's just so clearly ready for more responsibility to me. Like like he, he seems like just that prototypical guy who's on a third pair. Who like if he weren't on the Leafs, we'd be looking at like that's the guy that you know we should be trying to bring in and maybe Give he, he could more. work out as a top four guy, right? And yeah. So like the the fact that he he's he's really kind of had the uh, kind of a a cap put on him it seems like he, he's he's been like i said kind of really co- over coached a little bit kind of had the ra- edges rounded off a little bit um and, and it, it makes me wonder like is that an intentional thing are they are they trying to maybe make him look a little less appealing because like you've got the the expansion I, I draft coming that, up but i didn't want to put the tinfoil uh, hat on <laughs> well <laughs> that's like and it's just and i mean the other thing is obviously like if if the decor had a different look to it. It's a different story. Like if you didn't bring in Brody, you'd probably have to move him up there, and and you just kind of have the luxury of running him out there as the the sixth, you know, um, basically your sixth guy. And you know, no, again, the no special teams thing though is it also kind of plays into it. Like like you said, like why why didn't he get a crack at running the the top of the umbrella on PP two for a little bit when you know we were oh for. 3,000. It really is kind of inexplicable that he hasn't been given a, a larger role at any point. It, 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 getting to what you said about maybe just trying to make him look less appealing to Seattle, as crazy as that might sound, it, it almost appears that that is the case. Like, What more does Travis Dermott have to do in a third pairing role to he's yeah, that's crushed, what I'm thinking. He's crushed third pair minutes for his entire career. He's consistently. I, I don't know what more he needs to do. Yeah, consistently puts up great underlying defensive numbers. He, you watch him. The eye test looks good. The numbers look good. I, I don't really understand why he hasn't been given uh, more of an opportunity. And I'm not convinced that he necessarily, because he excels in third pair of minutes, that you know he's a lock to be able to move into the top four. But, no, but you want to find I, but, out. But you have to find out, exactly. And he hasn't really been given that opportunity. And that's largely in part to the fact that the six defensemen that they've had in the lineup have pretty much been healthy all year, you know, and, and why kind of mess with a good thing. And, and him and Bogosian are playing well, so you don't bother. But, like, it, I'm not ready to say that that's his ceiling just because that's all he's done so far. But I'm also, you yeah. know, you have to prove it out a little bit. But this seems like a good spot to maybe, I mean, obviously I think PP2 is Sandines now. But, um, you know, yeah, I think with the numbers that he's put up and, and his impacts defensively, um, I've joked about it before. Like, I, you know, you don't notice him all game, and then you check the charts at the end of the game, and he has, like, a 97% expected goals. And it's, <laughs> like, I don't it, – obviously, it's something's working. I might not see it all the time, but something's clearly working, and, and I, why not try it out? That's the thing with Dermot, yeah. though. It, it, we've said it a, a bunch of times. Like, what makes Dermot effective is that he makes nothing happen. 
So like a lot of the, the really good defensive plays that he makes are easy to miss because they are subtle and he just breaks up a play before it even gets started in the neutral zone a lot of the time. Yeah. But to tie it all back in to the Sandine versus Dermot sort of discussion once Bo- Bogosian is healthy, it, it might really come down to the, the special teams thing and the, the fact that Sandine looks so valuable on the power play and that Dermot hasn't really contributed anything to special teams all season long. And if I'm going to throw keep the tinfoil hat on here, then let's just go with, um, you know, you, you keep the guy who is going to be exempt from uh, the, the expansion draft process. You keep him in the headlines, keep him in the lineup. Dermot is the guy who lost his job to the rookie heading into the offseason. Mm-hmm. That's that's a just a perfect concoction for a Travis Dermot top four spot uh, on the Leafs blue line next season, isn't it? Well, it seems like we're all thinking that we'd rather it be Justin it? Hall. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> well, and, all, and, and listen, Justin Hall's been an awesome story, and I, I still think he's valuable. He's definitely had some moments in the last dozen games or so where you're kind of scratching your head a little bit, but I still think he's a good defenseman, but ultimately somebody's got to go. And I think if you just look at age and, you know, um, upside and all that stuff, it's it seems like I, I that that would be the more favorable option. I think but, it's definitely more of a question than it was during the first month of sure, the season. Absolutely. Like, like Hall has tapered off quite substantially. I think he still played very well this season for the most part, but he hasn't been the guy that he was through the first two weeks of the season. And I'm not sure is it is it you know everybody goes through peaks and valleys, right? So are we at of are we at like a lowest of the low right now, or are we at the like this is what he is? Like is he gonna bounce up a little bit? Like I'm, I'm, I, I lean towards a little bit more of this is what this is kind of what he is. Like what we're seeing right now. I agree with that, but I think even with the way he's played now, even if it hasn't been as strong as it was at the start of the season, he's still been plenty capable, perfectly serviceable. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I almost wonder now, like especially with um, Dermot getting some reps on the right side. Like, are you looking at Dermot as just a guy who can slip into that hall role and, and you know kind of be that steady presence? Um, you know, and, like we all kind of thought Hall's that the before the season that that was going to end yeah. up happening. Yeah, I really thought that Dermot was going to push Hall for that job alongside Muzzin, and then with the way that Hall started the season, that got put to bed pretty quickly. But I, I think that there's definitely room for that conversation again. So um, eight games to go and uh, the goaltending situation. Are you? I'm yeah, ready for playoffs. I'm ready for playoffs. But th- this season has been like the most enjoyable one as a Leafs fan in a really long time. So it yeah. has, but yeah. I'm so fucking sick of playing like the Calgary Flames. And it's like <laughs> I want other teams. <laughs> Yeah, well, if Montreal keeps playing the way they have been, we, we might see a, a lot more games against the Calgary Flames here. <laughs> Which I'd probably be all right with. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that's a mess. So eight games to go. Um, goaltending situation is still you know, a, a little up in the air. Uh, Campbell, obviously, I think is the guy right now, and, and Riddick has been a question mark. I don't see that as being like a, a big issue or at least you know not any more so than it was a a few weeks ago um but but what kind of a split do you think we're looking at here down the stretch with these last eight games because um 
you know, I, I, I was looking at the schedule. There's only one back-to-back. I have a hard time, like, seeing Jack Campbell not, you know, starting any less than, like, six of those if he's going to be your guy in game one. And I guess the obvious wild card is, do we see Frederick Anderson before the end of the regular season? Well, if Freddie isn't healthy before the playoffs, you want to run Jack Campbell out there in every game if he's feeling healthy, aside from the back-to-back, of course. Yeah, I think probably erring on the side of like rest versus getting him in the groove. Like, I don't know. I you'd have to have that kind of conversation with him. Is like, where is he at health wise? Where is yeah. he at fatigue wise? Not that he's played a ton of games or anything, but he's just never been a starter before. You know, have a conversation with him and Steve Briere and try to figure out like what would make him what's setting him up for success for game one is it rest or is it getting himself into a groove and playing every day hard to say from the outside which one would be better i would prefer just from a watchability standpoint because i just like watching jack campbell play but uh, yeah i think with um no i mean uh, this is outside of my wheelhouse a little bit i have a pretty decent understanding of it but with the ltir stuff that's going on now and the extra bit of space that they might be able to accrue i think we can get freddie in am i right in saying that nick like it's not going to require a lot of angling. it's getting murky now yeah i said as much when i was chatting with sam and brent yesterday like as someone who likes to think they understand all the ltir stuff pretty well i have had a really difficult time keeping track of what the Leafs are going to be capable of doing in regards to Anderson with all of the, the injuries and the cap finagling that they've been doing, like things like throwing Scott Sabrin on LTIR. He's probably got like a hangnail or something, but if it gives you 800 K in space, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really complicated. And with Freddie getting back on the ice in the last week or so and taking shots from the boys at the end of practice, it, it appears that he is getting closer uh, I think that's going to be the biggest story. It, well, it's been the biggest story for the Leafs all season, probably the goaltending. And I don't think that's going to change in the last couple of weeks here. There's going to be a lot of focus on whether Anderson is able to return and what the plan is going to be for him and Campbell once he is healthy. If they're going on a deep run, I know we've all said this, they're going to need both guys. So I would like to see Freddie get into two or three games before the playoffs. Personally, like I, I that's think best case scenario for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's what you'd hope for. Um, yeah, I, I used to feel like I understood the LTIR stuff, but I think the reality was I just understood it better than the Leafs management team at the time. <laughs> you were better <laughs> than Dave Poole, that's all. You just understood it better than old Pooley. <laughs> Does it relative to you know a smart person? Doesn't mean I actually understand it. It's just <laughs> you thought you understood it until they hired Pridham. Exactly. Yeah. Just the fact, like, just to touch on kind of the the Jets thing, and, and if it this is a a kind of crash course for the second round, and I'm not. I mean, Edmonton could win, obviously, and they with with their lineup, but just the fact that Hellebuck kind of had their number, and and if just from a mental standpoint, getting what like six goals on like sixty five minutes against him. Like it, that could be two ways, and like that's you know rattling Hellebuck a little bit against the Leafs now, and just the Leafs knowing that they can score on them. Did that made me as a kind of an underrated storyline in all of this is just like this is a guy who killed you for for most of the year, and now you kind of light him up. I thought that was 
interesting and, and kind of potentially important in the future. Yeah, I, I thought it was nice where um, that that game, what was it, a week and a half ago or whatever, where uh, Campbell kind of got shelled early and got pulled. And then I think that Hellebuck gave up the same. I think it was three goals and six shots uh, for yeah. both guys. Yeah. And right after Hellebuck kind of got pulled, Campbell came through with a big save. Like he, he had a few of those big saves against Winnipeg where he was, uh, uh, you know, like big moments. We've talked about that with Freddie where it's like you just expect those ones to go in uh, after a goal or, or you know, um, when just when the other team starts to kind of make a push or whatever. And, and he kind of comes through with a big one. And, uh, you know, Cam- it was nice to see Campbell kind of do that. Yeah, we probably didn't talk enough about how important those games were for Campbell and just how big of a bounce back it was for him in those two games against the yeah. Jets. Like the first game, maybe you'd like a save on that third goal, but even that was a, like a clean look from the from the high slot. So I don't think that he had a whole lot of help in that first game, and he had absolutely no chance on the Ehlers goal on Saturday night. And after that, he locked it down. He made a number yeah, of he huge made a lot of good saves, and I just. It, it was really encouraging to see him bounce back, especially for a guy that's had a history of kind of being in his own head a bit. Yeah. Yep. So, um, something that we've kind of been hyping up since pretty much episode one, I guess, of this pod is the women's, uh, world hockey championship, which was supposed to be held in Halifax and Truro last year, uh, was canceled because of the pandemic, uh, very happy when it was set to return this year. It was scheduled for April and then rescheduled to May, uh, but we were looking good. And then Wednesday, we got the news that Nova Scotia's government pulled the plug on the tournament roughly two weeks before uh, the puck was set to drop. And that was swiftly followed by uh, uh, daily case counts spiking uh in Halifax and around the province. And uh, yeah, thanks to whatever asshole from Ontario came here and infected us all. Yeah, it's. It's a mess now, and yeah, it sounds like some fucking partiers dropped in from Upper Canada or wherever wherever it was. That was fucking Upper Canada. <laughs> fucking Upper Canadians, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they... We're just kidding. We they, love you all. Keep listening to <laughs> They dished yeah. out... Uh, it's a large portion of our yeah, viewership. <laughs> they, they dished out uh, dished out their COVID. They, they scooted back, and it uh, looks like no punishments will follow, <laughs> so that's... Uh, very irritating, and I mean, like, it's hard to get too worked up about the decision to cancel this tournament. You, could, you couldn't, you know, have it going while, you know, everyone else is locked down. But it's just frustrating from a lot of different angles. Like, um, I mean, number one being, like, this is Nova Scotia. So, like, we're, we're shutting down every time there's a little spike. So, like, doesn't the IIHF see that at some point and say, like, maybe we should have a, an alternate plan to make sure that the women get to play their championships since they didn't last year like and i know it was short notice and nova scotia pulled the you know rug out from under them and and that's the other thing that pisses me off is that like i've been listening to like the the sound bites from like tom rennie and like the hockey canada people or like you know the statements from the ihf like they are all so pissed off at the province and you can it's dripping through the releases like you can hear it in their voices and it's like we're never gonna get another fucking tournament here again because we couldn't just like you know say back in january like listen we 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 can't do this it's it's we're not going to be out of the woods like instead we try to kind of push through and like that's the other thing like you know we talk about like nova scotia's 
and Atlanta, Canada, like generally speaking, people are pointing at as like, you know, the COVID like example. But like now that it's in, like we have the same shitty policies everyone else does. Like there, there's no sick days. There's like, you know, people are still working here. Uh, like it, it's there's still so much like schools crap. are still open. Schools. Yeah, the schools are open. Oh, man, like, listen, so I. I... I got really annoyed in New Brunswick about that stuff because, like, it really everybody just you know patted Higgs, our premier, on the back, who's an idiot, and it was just like, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, he saved us from COVID, and it's like, no, like we're a tiny region that doesn't have a lot of international travel, and we're not densely populated. That's why we did well. <laughs> like we didn't have some magic fucking formula. Over yeah. Here. And like, and, and like in fairness, like, you know, Atlantic Canada's done like contact tracing and other stuff that like you can do better because they're smaller, totally. but like, and then like a lot of it is just, they didn't leave us to die that, which is like what's happening in other places. So it's like comparatively, you know, but now that it's in, it's, it's like the, the cases are rocketing and it's just like, stay home. You know, the, it's it's back to like the the stern dad lectures, and so it's it's just stay the blazes. It's, home. it's frustrating as fuck, and it's so second year ECMA cancellation. Too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I mean, it's like um, it, it's hard to like direct your anger anywhere with with you know everything going on, but it, it's it's just tough, and it sucks that like um, yeah, it's going to be held against. Nova Scotia, I, I feel like, like you know, we we've all seen how Hockey Canada picks its teams. <laughs> you're not getting an invite if you're a college uh, player half the time, and uh, you know, I don't think you're getting a, a look for a host if you, you know, cancel on two weeks' notice for at least a little bit. Which, which, you know, who knows? I, they'll be back eventually, but it's it's just uh, it's frustrating to. Um, Tough, you yeah. know when you've been and more than anything it's disappointing for those women that you know for the second straight year they're not getting to compete and hopefully that some sort of site alternate site is yeah in- they're looking at they're looking at texas for for like maybe yeah. maybe something in august is kind of the latest word but like you know it's it's now it's a scramble now and like yes part of it is because of you know the nova scotian government's decision but again like you know, th- there have been contingency plans made for other like the the world under 18s is going on right now down in Texas. They moved that from Michigan um, just for like attendance purposes. And they did it ahead of time. Uh, you know, if, if you were absolutely determined to get this thing played, you probably just say like, sorry, Nova Scotia, like we're, we're not going to be able to do it there this year because we know how you're going to treat, uh, a, you know, 25 cases. Um, well, wasn't that the the big uproar from the the women's game once the IIHF initially announced that the U18s would be moving to Texas and there was well the women's still the women's no under 18 yeah and the, well yeah Blair Turnbull who you know both she and Jill Sonier had had good you know uh, responses to this as Nova Scotians who were obviously excited uh, to to play in this and um yeah I believe it was Blair who was you know trying to get an update from the IIHF when they moved that tournament and you know the the women's under 18 had already been canceled and obviously we weren't getting much word on what was going to happen with this tournament now 
now it's not happening and and yeah like that's the most like i'm i'm pissed off like selfishly because like i feel i'm it's okay to be selfish after fucking 14 months of like obeying all the shit and now it's gone to shit again and you know here we are you know the the one kind of entertainment thing that i was going to kind of allow myself and have been looking forward to for a year is gone and and but like most pissed off specifically for those two i mentioned like blair and jill who like you know they were among the uh, you know generation inspired by when the the women's worlds was here back in 2003 and now it's uh like that 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 generation of of you know young girls who who would have been there are not going to get to see that and they're not even going to see it on the television because you know it, it wasn't properly kind of um planned for or or um you know it's just it, it's it's tough and it sucks for so many people especially yeah, those women especially those you know two nova scotians who, who wanted to come and play at home and uh I mean, they were here. That, that, that's the thing that kills me. Like, you know, talking about making yeah, safe decisions, like they were here already. And, you know, the other ones, the, the rest of the, the, the teams were getting ready to head here. And then the decision was made. So it's like we're, we're, we're still trying to balance the, the economy and people's health here. It's not like we're, you know, some <laughs> COVID zero province like we're, we're, you know, it just hasn't gotten in. And now it's gotten in. And now it's like we're over 250 uh, active cases as we as we record and it's it's uh you know it sucks and and it's it's scary like it you know it hasn't been that bad here so it's it it's just frustrating that this is where we're still at yeah this is when it this is the most it's felt close to home during the whole thing we've been really fortunate for the most part compared to a lot of parts of the world and uh it definitely feels a lot closer to home now yeah uh we are in fact going to head halfway around the world to end the show, uh, Tony Ronalds is from Cape Breton, from mine and Nick's hometown. That isn't really our hometown, but we claim as our hometown. Tony is actually from Port Hawkesbury. Uh, he was the front man of an awesome Celtic rock outfit uh, that had some success back in the late 90s, Kilt. Uh, he's had other projects since, and now he's settled down in Australia, where he's had a nice start to his solo career been steadily releasing new music uh, he's got a great voice so if you dig this one you can check out the rest of his stuff as well and check us out too we're on twitter at lamenting leafs and if you'd be kind enough to leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast we would appreciate it and i also wanted to, to shout out my buddy uh, bc since we're about to hear from a guy from my hometown who's now in australia uh, it only makes sense to mention the only other person i know who's in that exact situation my pal brendan has been down under for a few years now he's an engineer uh he played some junior hockey and i I don't really have the full story just yet but it sounds like he's going to get a shot to play some aihl this year which is incredibly fucking cool uh so for all the covid pessimism we have right now in atlantic canada the uh world situation has kind of made it such that i'll be locked down but i might be able to watch one of my best buds get this once in a lifetime chance to play pro hockey and uh bc had a question for us about our preference of first round opponent for the leaf so we'll get to that and more questions on our next show uh here's tony ronald's go Thanks for listening to Lamenting the Leafs.
I only want to have you by my side Taking our chances, we're gonna ride like Thelma and Louise tonight Cause I've been waiting on a chance for us to turn over in my hands like a hundred year burn I've been feeling flames and I can be sure now that you're the one for me places we go no need to pack i'm already home when you're with me i've seen a lot of time between you and i this one's 